Welcome to Slime House, a podcast rated PG for crude humor, outrageous hijinks, and mild language. I'm Nelson. I'm Jasper. I'm Jared. And I'm Max. And today, we are going to be a master of disguise. Are going to be a master of disguise. I'm going to be a master of disguise. I'm going to be a master of disguise. I'm going to be a This summer, your training begins now. Prepare to make the change. You are a fatty. <laughs> what is happening? Ah, save me! Save me! Ah, sorry, Grandpa! Uh, yes, right. we're covering the 2002 movie, The Master of Disguise. All right, so this one is about uh, Pistachio Disguise, played by Dana Carvey. Um, he's a kind but naive waiter in an Italian restaurant who comes to discover that he's part of a lineage of Masters of Disguise, and he is sent to rescue the family's patriarch, and recover the world's most precious treasures using his newfound mastery of disguise along the way. <laughs> so this one's directed by Perry Andelin Blake, who's primarily a production designer, actually. Production designed almost all of the Happy Madison movies. Um, and for those who don't know, that's Adam Sandler's production company. So all of that world of, of comedy in the 90s and thousands and still going on today. Um, this is his only directorial credit, um, but he still works very, very uh, prolifically as a production designer in Hollywood. It is shot by Peter Lyons Collister, who's a real all-star on the show. We've covered quite a few of his movies, including Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties, Hop, a few others. And But he's done so much other Slimehouse stuff, Problem Child, Dustin Checks In, some of the Alvin and the Chipmunks movies, Furry Vengeance. We'll see him a lot more on the show, and hopefully, maybe we'll have him on at some point. I think he's a, I think he's a key artist. We should be talking to, um, and then really the only other big kind of name on this movie behind the scenes is Adam Sandler, as we mentioned, produced this, and as Dana Carvey, the star and writer of the movie, said, um, this movie would have gone nowhere with Adam Sandler's help. So, special shout out to the Sandman himself for getting this one made and in movie theaters 20 years ago. And uh, on that note, this is a commanding lead vehicle for one Dana Carvey, who is well known for his stint on SNL, especially in the Wayne's World series, and also his presidential impressions. George Bush Sr. back in the day, but in this movie he debuts his George W. Bush impression. But uh, who else is in this movie? We got the villain of this movie played by Brent Spiner, who is known as Data on Star Trek. And then we also have Jennifer Esposito and Harold Gauld as uh, Grandpa Disguise. Uh, sort of the, the grandpa sort of like wisdom figure of the film, if there is one. We also have uh, Pistachio's dad, Fabrizio Disguise, played by James Brolin, uh, Josh Brolin's dad in real life. Dylan and Cole Sprouse as a uh, young version of Dana Carvey's character. Dylan and Cole Sprouse were in Big Daddy, uh, a classic sort of Sandler, Happy Madison vehicle from this time. And then we also have Edie McClurg as Mama Disguise, who is a major sitcom actor from the 80s, also known for her little role in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, shows up a lot in Slimehouse. We saw her in Flubber and Airborne. We'll see her in other movies that we cover, such as Mr. Mom, Rugrats movie, and Food Fight. We gotta get to Food Fight someday. Oh, and the cameos. I forgot to mention these. We got uh, a pretty random one by Kenan Thompson at the end, but we also have Bo Derek at the beginning, Jesse Ventura at one point, Jessica Simpson at sort of the peak of her career, and then we also have Michael Johnson, the Olympic sprinter, showing up. Uh, they're all, uh, most of these uh, cameos are uh, people, are disguises of the the disguisey family we should mention spoiler alert i think we're very early in the episode to introduce some spoilers jared we need some warning there's just so much to there's so much to cover here you know we might not even get to that this is a, this is, is one true. of the denser texts this is our most requested episode uh from fans and whatnot so it's been a long time coming and here we are master of disguise yeah, this is one that it, it feels like it, it, it comes up often and it was a movie that, I mean, we were bound to get to at some point, um, but it was, I feel like this is a movie that actually a lot of people didn't see when they were kids I've come across, but they remember the trailer 
like everyone remembers this trailer but i very often a lot of people are like oh i never actually saw that but am i turtly enough for the turtle club you know um, <laughs> turtle, turtle, turtle. <laughs> yeah i mean it just it felt like this movie was ubiquitous on like kids networks back in the day the trailer was just constant it was quoted on the playground 20 times a day in september august 2002 i I never saw it in theaters my parents probably nixed it because it got really bad reviews um as in 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 those days my parents held the the power of the purse um and they were very (laughs) they trusted they trusted the local critics so i don't think we ever (laughs) got around to see this one but um, but I watched it in late high school with some homies, and we had a really great time with it. But this rewatch just revealed even more wild bits, and I think I had even more fun with it, you know, revisiting it for the show. It's kind of like Jasper said. I feel like this is one that, like, everyone I know, if you start doing the turtle bit or I'm the master of disguise, I'm the master. Like, like people get what you're talking about, but I don't think I know a single person that actually saw this movie as a kid. So it's like, yeah, the bits are ubiquitous. The trailer is ubiquitous, but, like, I've met almost no one that actually saw the film i hadn't i didn't see it in theaters i did the did some of the bits on the playgrounds with my did some of the bits with my cousin i remember so it was it was there in my childhood but never actually saw it um until later i've seen it a few times at this point just a classic sort of just like how did this get produced type movie that's just like always a fun oh, those are always a fun watch and yeah i feel like even as a kid i thought the trailer looked kind of like just weird and unpleasant to me and so I, I i steered away intentionally but glad i've glad i've watched it now because it's a it's a rich text that's for sure i uh i saw this as a kid not in theaters not quite um my sister had a birthday party that she had like two months it was like two months late like her birthday's in june this came out in august I was going to go see it then, but then I got disinvited to it for reasons I won't get into. So, I mean, yeah, it's a cl- what can I say? It's a classic fifth grader movie. It's all around. <laughs> I Similarly, I, I think the commercials on probably mostly Nickelodeon, honestly, were the thing that most people remember. Um, I did see it on DVD, um, and I think we were mostly, it was one of the first times I remember thinking, wow, this is such a short movie. <laughs> Um, the movie's like 65 minutes or 70 minutes before you get to the gag reel credits, which are a solid, I think, 10 minutes. Like they're very long, um, gag reel. And I think what I remember mostly was that everyone was hyped on Mike Myers. He was Shrek and Austin Powers. And those were like two of the best movie series of this time. And Dana Carvey, we kind of knew who he was, but like, I was obviously too young for, SNL in those days and and Dana Carvey's SNL era but like mostly thanks to Wayne's World he kind of like we kind of knew who he was and probably just good marketing of selling it as like you like Austin Powers you're gonna love the Master of Disguise because they are kind of similar uh, nonsensical humor but it for whatever reason which I think we'll have an interesting discussion getting into it didn't have that lift off that the Austin Powers series had so maybe we can talk about how it was released and some of the context around it and start start with that. Yeah, it came out within like a week or two of Austin Powers Goldmember, the third one. I think it was kind of marketed as just like gold mem- like you know, like a more family friendly version of that movie, but yeah, I just I don't think that was a market that existed. And also summer 2002 one of the more crowded summers for family movies ever. Um, we covered Like Mike a couple episodes ago, but you know, there's so many other family movies from that time, uh, that specific summer, like it was so saturated and this came out at the tail end of it. I think that's a big part of why this failed to catch on initially. It also came, it also came right off the heels of the second Spy Kids movie, which was released later in that summer, 2002. Um, and one of the first things I noticed about this movie is that it kind of fits into that there there was a there was a spy movie craze in general i think a lot of it happened post james bond revival in the 90s and also austin powers reinvigorated a lot of that as well but i think it trickled a lot down into kids movies uh, with spy kids with agent cody banks which would come out later 
um, with movies like The Tuxedo with Jackie Chan. Um, and I think this kind of just like f- also fell into that kind of secret agent spy kind of world without the gadgetry per se um, that made those movies kind of cool. But I was surprised at how aesthetically this reminded me of the Spy Kids franchise a lot. Um and kind of the Robert Rodriguez school of, of filmmaking, specifically Robert Rodriguez's Slimehouse movies. Um, and for that reason, I think maybe it, it, perhaps it kind of felt like a retread of some of that kind of vibe. And a lot of people maybe were turned off, but it, I don't know. This movie is, this movie is just completely wild and beyond, you know, the Spy Kids movies. It's just like Slimehouse getting pushed to like, it's like most absurd extremes almost like psychedelic it reminds me of a movie that would come later son of the mask which we covered recently um and just how like gleefully bizarre it is um which i now have a lot of fun with but i understand at the time um, a parent taking a child probably being very turned off yeah i'm glad we kind of like already mentioned austin powers because that was one of the main things on my mind for this because not only does it feel like it's kind of trying to do like a more family-friendly Austin Powers. It feels so much like after Mike Myers got to be a big movie star, they're like, let's build a movie around Dana Carvey since he's like his his co-star in Wayne's World. And and then, I mean, I don't know Dana Carvey's work super well, but I know like Garth seems to be kind of his big original character. And other than that, he's known almost entirely for impressions. And I feel like that's kind of what this movie ran into is it's kind of hard to build a movie around an impressionist because like he had because really in this movie pistachio is an original character there's a few like original characters but for the most part it's a lot of impressions and it feels like kind of like it's difficult to build a star vehicle for an impressionist and i think that's where this movie kind of had a rough time at it and why it ended up having to be like 60 minutes long without the gags and then the gags you just get a bunch of impressions you missed out on that they probably tried and went with but yeah it's just an interesting it's one of those movies that makes you realize i like dana carvey i think he's talented but sometimes there's certain like comedians whose acts just don't really work in a feature film the way that like it seems like the studios were hoping it would yeah i think that's a really good point and that it doesn't really establish like a character Per se, which you know, Austin Powers, or even later, like an Anchorman or something like that. Like, this was an era where like comedy was centered around a lot of like character development in movies, and there was franchises built around these like bizarre characters that these SNL type comedians would play. And because you know, Pistachio Disguise himself is you know not necessarily a super charismatic, funny character. All the people he plays are. Um, but it makes, it it doesn't really allow for like franchise building, so to speak. Um, although it would be kind of fun to have like a master of disguise, like trading card line or like line of toys where you can collect all of the, the disguise dolls. I'm sure there was one at some point. (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. I I have to imagine there was merch for this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Actually that's, that's all really interesting because I think that maybe a better, screenplay would have built something for it but it really does kind of run out of things to do like if the plot i couldn't even really tell you exactly what the end is kind of but it just like we show up at a climax and he's able to like solve it very quickly and i think um partially because yeah it didn't it's so built on just impressions not necessarily built on like good structure or what have you um that it, it does run into trouble Um, But the thing I remember more about it as a kid was just how, like, there was a lot of, like, huh type moments. And I'll give you an example of one. Like, he has this girl who he has a crush on, and she has a very big butt. Like, and that is just played for so much, you know, uh, so many jokes and bits. And it's obviously not a real butt. And I think that some of the more, like, absurdist, almost in the to kind of tie it into Slimehouse, just like heightened reality where it's not it's not trying to be realistic looking, um, but it goes for these kind of wild gags. I remember at the time it just felt almost <laughs> too much <laughs> for 
for a young kid to watch. <laughs> well, and even aside from like that, this movie, I mean, it's, it's common in Slimehouse for stuff to be very preoccupied with butts. Like, butt humor is very common. But it's like, it feels strange still to see a character like leering at butts in this way in like a family a movie. And like, they even make it like an entire running gag where like, the woman that grows to be his main love interest, I guess, like, doesn't have a big butt. She doesn't have, she doesn't have a cartoonishly large, like, prosthetic butt. And then there's this bit where he just is, like, really rude to her, telling her she has a small, like, butt. Like, they make his obsession with big butts, like, a weird running bit. I read some of the research I was doing, which actually puts a lot of this movie into context, sort of, that he wanted to do a movie that felt like a PG-13 movie, but was not actually did not actually have the content to be a PG-13 because his kids didn't like family movies but he didn't want to take them to see PG-13 movies Dana Carvey that is and you can kind of see that and I feel like that's kind of an interesting way to look at a lot of Slimehouse as like movies that put enough eschatological and like dirty but not sexual to put a lot of that in the movie you can really see how they're kind of going for that a movie that feels like Austin Powers but isn't inappropriate for a child the way Austin Powers is and uh, I don't know if this is a true piece of trivia but I feel like I'd have to mention that it was on IMDb trivia but it claims that the reason they made pistachio like big butts in the film was because they wanted to push an anti-eating disorder <laughs> message which seems very bizarre to me but it says that yeah they made him like big butts to avoid glamorizing overly thin overly small butts which Hey, good for them. Good, yeah, fighting the good fight and master of disguise. <laughs> like they made the uh, main characters own an Italian restaurant too, so it's you know, lots of food, lots of uh, nutrition. Oh yeah, pistachio is a body positive icon, I suppose. <laughs> I've also seen some some analysis that this is a very pro-trans or trans in a very subtle way there's not, there's not there's not like making fun of yeah it's interesting you see like characters like james brolin's character he'll disguise as like jessica simpson or bo derrick and there's never any jokes of like oh it's a man in disguise as this woman it's just like oh he's dressed as bo derrick so they think it's bo derrick and it's like i feel like typically and not just slimehouse but pretty much any comedy in this era if a like a cis male character was like dressed as a woman even if it was like not an actual like drag there would be some joke or reference about it and this really avoids that i think another thing that for me read as points to your point about it sort of being like a, a pg-13 but not movie is that there aren't that many kids in this movie there is like a uh his love interest, Jennifer, has a son who rides a skateboard, of course. Um, but other than that, he doesn't even really factor into the plot. Like, you know, in a, I feel like in a slimier movie, he would be like a sidekick and like help out in the end. But um, he's really, he's really just a, a bit part. And other than that, it's kind of more adults. And that's where it kind of has more of like a, I don't know, something like a naked gun, but PG and a little more uh, zany in its aesthetic. Um than say like spy kids or catch that kid yeah i i agree with that there is there is a cartoonishness to this movie that i think is like very slime house though one it's super bright and colorful um i think a lot of that is due to you know the director perry andalyn blake who is a production designer first and foremost a very similar parallel to um bo welch who did uh the cat in the hat the following year um you know these production designers who have worked on mostly one or two directors films and really built a lot of quite iconic um, worlds and very interesting sets stepping in the director's chair and creating these just like bold colorful zany bizarre um, set pieces um, and I think in that way this feels very much like a live action cartoon especially with also I, th I think just like the idea of like changing into all these different disguises has a cartoonishness to it in a way um, but yeah, this movie definitely feels very just like heightened and zany in the way that um, I think the most strange and almost like psychedelic Slimehouse does. I mentioned Son of the Mask before, and I feel like that to, both of these movies just feel like kindred spirits in a weird way. I think that's the difference I'm pointing out is like it's less children oriented. And I think it still has a lot of that zaniness. And that's why it's in, it's a movie that almost doesn't have an audience in that like it's for kids, but it's 
not really centered around kids, if that makes sense, you know? So it's, it's sort of, that may have been why it never found the footing. Yeah, I think that just a word on this movie's aesthetic and how I feel like that kind of affects its sliminess. Um, I think that like a movie I was thinking of the whole time, a movie that probably the only time I've ever thought of this movie, other than while I was watching it, is uh, Who's Harry Crumb, which we covered <laughs> at the Slime Shuffle a little bit back, which I think we all gave very low slime scores, just a very sort of bland, forgettable movie. <laughs> but if you take like literally just the plot and even most of the humor in that movie it would be a lot like master of disguise like they're almost the exact same plot but that movie did not have a cartoonish aesthetic in the slightest and then this movie does and that movie as i said i think we all agreed was barely slimy and this one is like i think we'll all agree by the end is very slimy and like i said like a lot of the humor the plot and stuff is all almost the same but this movie's approach like the way it looks is so, like you said, Jasper, like Son of the Mask, like live action cartoon, heightened, psychedelic, and crazy. That stuff that might not be slimy in Who's Harry Crumb is very slimy here. That's a really good point. I love that because I hadn't put those together. But now that you say that, it's almost like a call and response. Like you've got <laughs> Who's Harry Crumb? Question mark. The master of disguise. Uh, yeah, have conversation. <laughs> yeah. I don't and, like, there's like, part of this movie that feel where like the humor feels more broad than like a, a typical slime house movie to me and what i mean by that is like there's a lot of like boomer humor in this a lot of references to, like boomer things like i think when we were talking about harry crumb we're thinking of the scene with where he's learning to play a flute and seduce the cobra which is kind of you know a little bit of a dated scene but like they're playing kenny g in the middle of that yeah and that feels like a slimy needle drop to me too i feel like kenny g is just one of those like go-to joke artist that Slimehouse loves to loves to use. And some of those impersonations, like, I don't know, Kenny G kind of seems a little older than Slimehouse to me, and then also some of these impersonations are, like, of Scarface and things that are, like, very pre-Slimehouse. So. Yeah, there's a very long Al Pacino bit that feels like not, like, like a kid would not really get it. He's funny, but, like, it's just, like, that's a very long portion. And then he does Captain Quint and all that. Like, he does a lot of yeah, stuff that Jaws, I don't know yeah. if a Slimehouse audience. Yeah, I agree. Like, a lot of the impressions seem like they're more, like, kids will laugh because it's silly, but the jokes, the references are for parents. And speaking of references, I think one of the signs that, like, kind of shows Dana Carvey's SNL roots is I think this movie has maybe more than any movie I've seen, like so many like hashtag topical jokes where it like brings up stuff in the zeitgeist right then and there, which is so interesting because I feel like nowadays because of memes, movies don't try to do that. But this one has a long list of like, I mean, I think one of the more random ones that gave me a laugh just because of, you know, it took me back was he's like, he makes a reference to Ask Jeeves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote that down in my notes. Like, Ask Jeeves feels like such a... I think there's, there's like a big Yahoo joke or Yahoo joke in Inspector Gadget, and it reminded me of that. Like, referencing ads is something nothing would do. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, um, I made a note that the all of the product call-outs or product placement in this movie are very odd, like companies that have not really survived delta dental was one that was really big back in the day that they reference classmates.com they yes, also reference i didn't even like realize these... that was a real website that's oh, how it, yeah yeah that's how in. back in the day when you went on the internet like you would close out and there would always be this small ad behind your browser that somehow was always there called classmates.com and so finally like it got us like my sister and i were like 12 and 13 and we like looked up our mom on classmates.com and no results came but i feel like that was probably the original like phishing your data <laughs> website i feel like it was like the original facebook you know like find find your old classmates but it's funny that like to to watch a movie that has all these like references to like the dot-com boom power players you know that just don't exist anymore i mean i'm sure they exist but just not in the in the way that you know they were ubiquitous back then but i, I do want to point out that this movie it does have a lot of boomer references it does have a lot of very topical references but they're 
it is one of the movies that we've watched the few movies that alludes and make jokes about not one not two but three other slime house properties so the first of which we talked a lot about dana carvey earlier trying to kind of find his space alongside mike myers success so there's a very early bit where pistachio disguise uh does shrek impressions for the the little kid who he befriends on his street the skateboarding kid we talked about which i totally forgot that that happened and it isn't necessarily a very funny joke but just the concept of him doing shrek impressions got a big got a big hoot from me for sure um, and then there's another really funny directly slime house bit where it's a kind of a, like a blink and you miss it kind of moment, but he, he's kind of tucked away hiding behind some stairs and two security guards pass disguise and their conversation is as follows. They say, I'm telling you, Scooby-Doo was computer generated. And then the next guy says, but he looked so real, which is just <laughs> hilarious. Cause that movie came out. A month or two before this movie um so i thought I, I got a big big laugh of that one and what's the third one the third one i know we've debated on this show if malcolm in the middle is slime house or not it's probably a little more slime house ad- adjacent but definitely feels within the same wheelhouse but there's a line that i wrote down and i completely forget the context so i apologize but the line is just i can be the malcolm in your middle out of context kind of doesn't hit and land but during the movie i thought it was funny yeah one thing this made me think about just in terms of the scooby-doo reference which uh, it didn't get the biggest laugh out of me for the movie but like i do think it's probably like the best joke in the movie just as far as like that's just that's just it's just it's just funny like it's just it's a it's just a, it's a very funny line to me and it's so just like tossed off but it also made me realize like with scooby-doo just like the live action Scooby-Doo really just like the most ubiquitous reference they could have made in like a kid's movie because then there's some Looney Tunes back in action the year after this. There's a self-referential kind of bit where Shaggy and Scooby are like having a heated conversation with Matthew Lillard about like how he portrayed him in the Scooby-Doo movie. It's just interesting to think like, wow, like I guess like Slimehouse was so in its prime that like you could just assume a movie like Scooby Doo that like your audience, if you were making another Slimehouse movie, would know what you were referencing if you did a Scooby Doo bit. And it's like, yeah, it's just interesting to see a time where Slimehouse movies were regularly referencing other Slimehouse movies, and especially this one has more than just that one. So yeah, I just thought that was interesting to see Scooby Doo references in two movies we've covered so far. Actually, it's interesting because, you know, this movie does have all these references, but when they were advertising it, as we've talked about, the advertisements were kind of probably the most imprinted part of the whole thing. They just leaned into, like, the original characters, and I think that there were high hopes that... I specifically remember the two characters that were on the ads the most were um, Gammy Num Nums and the Turtle Guy. And there were high hopes, I think, that those characters... like. One of the ads would just, like, list all the characters. It was, like, Pistachio, Gammy Num Nums, the Turtle Guy. And they would, like, list them all as being, like, you're going to get to see these iconic characters, hoping they would kind of take off, like, the Austin Powers ensemble. Um, and and yet, when we watch it now, what we see that what we see the most or what stands out the most is, like, all of the self-referential stuff. Like, you know, it's more, I think, shocking or, like, catches your eye that like not gammy num nums but then like there's an abraham lincoln disguise scene there's like bush as we mentioned and like quint and scarface and so it's it's sort of a mix i think those are the ones that are like whoa huh now instead of you know the original characters in regards to operation minty hippo minty hippo what, what what is that well, I could tell you, but if you're a ding-dong, ding-a-ding-a-ding-wad, hut one, hut two, I need a Charleston chew. Get it, got it, doubt it. I think it's time for you to go. And I think it's time for you to put a squeeze on your chat box. What? This is what you're doing. This is what I want you to do. Any questions? Did you just tell me to shut up? Yes, you catch on straight away. My favorite disguise in this movie and we could maybe do a round table if we want to talk about our favorite disguises. Well, I'm a big fan of Terry Suave. 
I think he's actually a pretty funny character. I wouldn't mind a full Terry Suave feature, but the disguise that got the biggest laugh from me was actually, uh, they're talking about how the pistachio disguises or the disguise family were some of the first environmentalists. And, uh, turns out they were the ones, they were George Washington's cherry tree. And there's a scene where George Washington tries to chop down the cherry tree, but the cherry tree just runs away. And it's it's just like such an innocuous like 20 second bit. But I it got a pretty big laugh out of me. So I was I really enjoyed that one. I'll, I'll go next. We got to go from cherry trees to cherry pies for my mm. favorite. There's a scene towards the climax of the movie where uh, to infiltrate the uh, villain's lair, uh, Pistachio... Uh, disguises himself as nothing like what else could it be as a cherry pie so he's on a table and then he ascends from the table and uh he, he he's covered in cherries and cherry goo and it looks like uh it's very cronenberg almost and then how it looks it's got like this kind of like body horror kind of energy to it but uh you know he eventually gets discovered at you know he you know his cover gets broken eventually but He's sneaking around as a cherry, as just a giant goop of cherries for more than a while. And then when they are on to him, they try to chase him. He attacks them by spitting cherries out of his mouth. Like, like as in like a, he just had more cherries stored in his mouth for some reason. And he just starts spitting them at these guys. And it's just, you know. Yeah, that character is almost like something, I, I can't, I'm trying to think of what sci-fi movie, but it's either like Annihilation or Under the Skin, or there's like a black amorphous thing. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Annihilation, yeah. It is Proto, okay. Proto A24 horror scene right there, you know? Yeah, and just, I, I think that's the most, I think that one's the most like slimy, if I may, um, but just because it's so... Uh, outrageous uh, yeah for me i'd say my favorite it's, it's it's a cliche but i just love the the turtle guy i find that to be like just one of like the most inexplicable like weirdest like gags i've ever seen like a a comedy movie tried to land because like and they, they lean so hard on the turtle but like it really just doesn't really make any sense as a, as a character or why he's acting the way he is like other than the fact that it's called the turtle club and then he's has a turtle like disguise on but yeah i just find that to be still one of the craziest like weirdest bits of all time and also has a special a special legacy here in kentucky because every year you're guaranteed to see around election time or anytime mitch mcconnell does everything you're bound to see a lot of turtle guys so, yeah. but as far as just the, it's, it, this is almost like cheating other than the turtle guy i think that uh, this actually isn't one of Pistachio's disguises, but I get a big kick out of Jesse Ventura's brief cameo in this movie. I've just always been very fascinated by Jesse Ventura as a cultural figure. I was a big watcher of his weird, like, bargain bin, like, conspiracy theory show that came on some channel when I was younger where he would, like, talk about these various conspiracy theories. It was very fascinating to me. And, yeah, his cameo in this is just very funny where he's selling the Liberty Bell off and it's even funnier if you look up the context and see that apparently like he just kind of went AWOL from the Capitol <laughs> when he was governor at the time um, and it was when they were supposed to be working on these like austerity measurements after 9-11 and all that because the movie was right around 9-11 like when it was shooting <laughs> and so apparently he just kind of vanished from the Capitol at a really busy time to go film this Master of Disguise bit and that was actually <laughs> something that like was used against him in the re-election campaign people were like <laughs> right after 9-11 he was too busy off with Dana Carvey doing the, doing the movie <laughs> yeah I just find that to be so funny that a governor it like one of his first weeks like takes off on a busy week very busy we can't imagine a more like <laughs> important time to be there and he's off here just filming master of the skies well the 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 celebrity cameos that kind of pair with the jesse ventura cameo the the bit that the villain in this movie is asking pistachio's grandfather or father to disguise as these celebrities to go steal or convince security guards at museums to like let them borrow these like super priceless historical artifacts like Jennifer Simpson borrowing the Apollo 
capsule. Um, and then like Michael Johnson, the Olympic sprinter, like borrows something really silly too. And the, the, it's funny because the bit is always just like the security guards are like, oh yeah, of course, Jessica, like you're such a good actress. Of course we'd let you borrow the Apollo. Of course. <laughs> and it's uh, again, it's one of those bits that like, it's so strange and off kilter, but I really found myself laughing at a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm grateful for this plot device because I know that when uh, John Turtletab was watching it, he was like, I've got it. I've got the idea for my next movie. Nicholas Cage steals the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> the timeline lines up, actually, Nelson. Good Tur- turtle Tob was a uh, he was he was part of the turtle club <laughs> he was he was turtle enough for the um and actually i i think the turtle guy's got to be my favorite too i think just the one that has the most action um i do i think my favorite like costume isn't even a disguise really, but costume is um early in the film <laughs> pistachio was a waiter at an italian restaurant and somehow he makes a mess where he throws a plate of pasta on people and then you turn and they're just like covered in spaghetti and meatballs like head to toe and like wiping it off of their eyes and those costumes i i think it would be it would be really fun to work on a movie where it's this much like sliminess you know like the cherry pie costume and the and the gross spaghetti and spicy meatball and i i think Turtle Guy is my favorite disguise, but Spaghetti People is my favorite costume. Right after that scene, there's a one of the guys that gets spaghettied, spaghettioed, if you will. Uh, he has this like off the cuff line, this like kind of quiet. Where he's like, "We should have got a Burger King instead," which <laughs> struck me as very like slimy. Yeah, the the spaghetti scene is funny because the way that the actors like play out the scene is almost like there's like. So they get the spaghetti drenched on them and then they barely move for the entirety of the rest of the scene, which is only like two minutes, but they're just like sitting like stone faced yeah. with all this spaghetti on them. And Dana Carvey is like doing his bit, but it almost felt kind of like a weird, like performance art, like theater piece scene, like just like completely avant-garde, like absurd Dada kind of scene, almost like something you'd see on like SNL where it's like, the background actors don't really matter. It's all just about what the like main actor is doing. The rest are just kind of like to help set the scene. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that one up, Nelson, because that's a that is a great scene. And going back to the turtle guy really quick, another great bit that caught me totally off guard because I forgot this happened was when he's in the turtle club and he hides in his shell and then pops back out and bites the guy's nose off. (laughs) (laughs) Just like a completely strange, like, out there use of CGI, which apparently Adam Sandler added that joke to the script, which is pretty hilarious. Um, But yeah, that that nose grab is is pretty wild. I think that's that's part of the more because I'm I'm still like, I don't think this is uh, oozing slime like Son of the Mask, but we'll get to slime scores at the end. But I do think when you have these moments that step away from like gravitational reality, you know, I think that to me like is a slime house tenant. You know, it's just like, yeah, bite the guy's nose off and then put it right back on. You know, <laughs> turtle. May I help you? Are you a member of the Turtle Club? Well, not exactly. Not either. exactly. But am I not turtly enough for the Turtle Club? The main villain in the movie, Brent Spiner's character, he has this running gag. At one point, literally, it's a running gag where every time he has a diabolical villain laugh about his plan to, you know, abuse Fabrizio Disguise to, you know, get all the artifacts in the world. He, he gets a little too carried away in his laugh and then a fart comes out with that <laughs> it just like stops the laugh dead in its tracks <laughs> and, and, okay, look, no like the way they go with this gag is great because like at one point like he's laughing and laughing and laughing and he's he thinks the fart's coming and it doesn't fart and he's like and, and like he has a like, moment of relief but then right after he has that moment of relief he jinxes it and he, and he farts anyway <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, so the, 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 the best part is just like when he's like running, like when he's like running from uh, Pistachio at the end, and then like he's laughing while he's running, and he does like multiple farts, like it's just like it. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, it feels like one of those that's like, I really, I, I appreciate how they gave it that long, awkward pause after all the farts to let it kind of like, because I feel like it's like the fart itself, that's already funny, but then you have the awkwardness after. That's where the, that's good. Yeah, cool, yeah good, good, good. whoever's gag that was, uh, kudos to the to whoever came up with that, because that's good. Good gag construction there. Honestly, like, more we've talked about this movie, honestly, I think this is a very, a very funny movie, both intentionally and unintentionally there's a lot of good a lot of good bits here <laughs> yeah honestly this i this is a movie that on this watch for this show and maybe it's because of our you know our research on this genre over the last couple of years but i laughed so much at this movie and in very genuine ways and maybe it's just my sense of humor that trends towards something a little bit more like surreal and demented at times but I got to agree, Max. I I think this is a very funny movie and kind of misunderstood. Um, it's a mess, like it's a total mess of a movie. But I I, I had a a very very good time watching. Yeah, this it kind of like feels like. I mean, like it sort of feels like it predates a lot of the kind of like a lot of the stuff like in high school and still now that like I got me that I thought was super funny is like Tim and Eric, Eric Andre, like all, any any kind of this weird like absurdist gross out kind of stuff and this feels almost like a predecessor to that in some way some of the bits here are just so like what is even going on here that like <laughs> they feel like they kind of predate some of that adult swim style humor and just yeah really find that funny into the one gag actually did you all stay through the whole credits because one of the funniest gags i think is actually where the weird like mannequin he's been it's one of the strangest gags i've ever seen in a movie even and i already said about the turtle there's like a dummy he's been practicing his combat with throughout the movie and at the end of the credits like they have this really weird bit where a dwarf like a little person gets out and they're chasing him and like around and it's like he's dressed like mario and i don't know if that's really intentional but he's dressed exactly like mario and then they do this weird fourth wall breaking gag after all that where they're sort of addressing the audience saying like tell all these people you want to say bye like it's the, the movie's over and it's like what are they even like thinking is the joke here like i don't know what it is but it's funny <laughs> like <laughs> yeah well on the on the on the kind of blooper note as nelson mentioned there's so many bloopers in this which makes me just think that there was so much left on the cutting room floor because this is such a short movie um, and the, if in the, in the blooper reel, there's at least two characters and disguises that are not actually in the movie. So I'm wondering if you know Perry Andalyn Blake or Dana Carvey would be would be down to do an extended cut soon because I would definitely definitely be interested in watching the director's extended cut. We need of this. a we need a Kino Lorber uh, 4K reimagining of <laughs> Master of Disguise right now. Actually, maybe this line we see in the movie, and like it's early on, and it's it made me laugh the hardest just because of how random it was. I, maybe this is like a recurring thing in Slime House where it's like a a really weird birthing scene, or like where, where their character is like born, and then like some really outrageous hijinks happen. In this movie, it shows a flashback to when Pistachio was born, and the doctor slaps him, but then Pistachio slaps him back, and like he says something really. Like he said in the baby voice, he's like, "You slap me, I slap you." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like babies doing adult things, babies doing funny things. That's always gonna be a slime house classic. Just because I feel like there's few things more live action cartoon kind of than that. And what was the movie we watched where the kid started dancing in the womb during the ultrasound? Son of the mask. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's the mask. mask. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like baby, funny babies. It's just slime house to a T. And I even forgot about that. Actually, that's that a, that's a, this is a, sounds like a tangent, but it'll make sense. I, I think when I think about credits and watching credits, because now I'm in the habit of staying for the end of credits. I kind of like it as like a moment to think about the movie you just watched and kind of like soak it in a little more. But as a kid, you always got up and left. But I remember like, watching lord of the rings at someone's house once with like their younger siblings and i don't know everyone had always seen it but we were watching it and uh i was like do you guys stay for the end credits like trying to be all like smart and pretentious or whatever at age like 11 and the the younger guy was with it was a younger brother and sister like friends of friends and the guy was like nah not really unless there's like unless there's like 
gags or something worth staying for it's something like master disguise or whatever and he's like i can't remember the last movie i stayed for the credits for and then his younger sister just goes super babies (laughs) (laughs) i've yet to see super babies baby geniuses too uh but i know that we'll have to be able to stay for the credits on that one yeah actually i I went to go that's where i just now i was off to grab my a notebook to remember all the cameos we see that weren't in the, the during the bloopers and there's a Forrest Gump bit I remember there's four cam four characters we don't see in the movie only during the bloopers there's Forrest Gump um he does Bob Ross and he does a weird like kind of Rip Taylorish character I can't really tell if that's like what it's uh, but but like uh, just a weird sort of like ringmaster type character that's just a very like over the top kind of guy and then there's also a character played by kevin nealon that gets a bunch of bits in the credits that we don't really see at all much in the movie if do do we see kevin nealon at all in the actual movie i'm trying to remember but he has a extended bit in the credits so yeah but yeah it's interesting there has to be some lots of cut footage for there to be like entire characters only in the blooper reel of the of the movie <laughs> you got a little uh, tomato soup with a crouton no you got some neapolitan ice cream you know you got the vanilla chocolate strawberry one of the greatest things ever invented and you don't got it we've talked about how kind of just like off the wall this movie is but i do think there are some like fun slime house bits that aren't necessarily comedy bits that we that we see quite a bit um one there's a great diy uh, kind of Rube Goldbergy machine uh, that kind of leads to a secret passage in the house, which I always get excited when something like that pops up in a movie. It's very similar to something like in Casper we saw, um, but behind the the weird Rube Goldbergian entrances are the secrets to the Masters of Disguise. So that was a fun one. There's also um, the soundtrack, which we haven't discussed too much, is I think very very slimy. Um, there's a couple great needle drops, um, specifically Abraham Lincoln dancing to "I Like to Move It, Move It" uh, is is very very fun. Um, but there's also just some like classic Slimehouse songs. There's a great conga line sequence set to Gloria Stevan's conga. You can't have a Slimehouse mo- a true Slimehouse movie without a good conga line, in my opinion. Um, Katrina and the Waves, Walking on Sunshine is another song that I very much attribute to Slimehouse. I feel like it appears in a lot of movies. Um, there's a good Eye of the Tiger reference. But in general, yeah, I, th- I feel like this soundtrack is, is is very, very kind of slime adjacent. Yeah, and that's not even to mention there's at least two original songs in the movie that f- seem very slimy in that one is like a rap about the Master of the Skies, which feels like a very slimy sort of original song to put i have to say i don't know the lyrics so i don't know how if they're like really like a true like recapping the movie or if it's just sort of a master of disguise referencing and then there's one by vitamin c later in the film who um did the there's the song that played every graduation i think friends forever is what it's called and yeah that's that's the vitamin c classic and yeah there's an original vitamin c master of disguise track here which i feel like some I feel like Vitamin C rings as a slimy artist to get to do your original song. Um, and yeah, I think like original songs, always a slimy hallmark. And on top of the already slimy soundtrack, that's just icing on the cake there. I'm just looking up because it's an era where like CD soundtracks were a thing. And sure enough, yes, the, like there is a, a CD soundtrack available and the title track is master m period a period s who's it by i assume that's like the rap lil lil fizz oh no sorry play (laughs) featuring lil fizz (laughs) i do not know either of those haven't heard either of those guys unfortunately but i can just hear the like if like the second way it would be like when the movie was released on home video there would be an ad accompanying it being like and get the soundtrack too kids you know (laughs) (laughs) that was a good voiceover yeah yeah Uh oh wow looks like Lil Fizz is on uh, Love and Hip Hop now so uh, shout out still still going strong Lil Fizz he's a M-A-S-T-E-R of disguise watch in front of your eyes a master a master of disguise Oh, 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 oh
want to bring it up. The, the amount of slapping in this movie is like ridiculous. Like, I don't know what it is, but back in this era, I feel like kids thought slapping was so funny. And I, it just, it's like, there was, I don't think there's any punching in this movie. It's all just like any kind of hand-to-hand combat is just all slaps. That's like one of the first things I wrote down in my notes. It had to be like 20 minutes into the movie at most, which I guess in this movie is like a quarter of the way through. <laughs> but, but yeah, like I, I wrote down like so much slapping because like it's just like it's all this like... This movie has a lot of slapstick, no, 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 no pun intended. There's a lot of slapstick in the movie, but it's almost entirely based on slapping. Like, there's not much other violence, comic violence in this beyond, like, an open face slap, an open hand, like, slap to the face, which is just, like, I don't know what it was about that that must have rung us so funny. Because I will say, like, that was the bit that my friends and I would do on the playground. We'd do the turtle, and we'd do, like some of the slapping bits. I don't remember specifics from the trailer outside of the, I'm going to be the master of disguise, like slap. Who, who's bit. your daddy? <laughs> oh yeah. Who's your daddy was definitely one too. I think this is probably one of the first times. Cause who's your daddy was always like a funny thing to say as a kid, but this very well might've been my exposure to who's your daddy as a funny thing to say. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. All the slapping fit fit rang is I can't say that's a Slimehouse trope. I don't know if we've seen it enough. But yeah, that felt Slimehouse and very like kid humor to me to be so obsessed with slapping. In them. And one of the characters who gets slaps the most is a good uh, Slimehouse character trope. Um, we have a bully by the name of Rex, which is a perfect bully name. And he's not... I don't think it's like... I think it's one of the... Like if you were to do a bully Slimometer, it's one of the least... Uh, interesting bullies that we've encountered partially because it's like grown-ups bullying grown-ups but I do think that you know adult movies don't often have bullies as much where it's like truly a bully yeah well and and also the our second controversial political figure in this movie because he's played by future capital insurrectionist Jay Johnston from Mr. Show so <laughs> yeah uh, this is full of full of full of bizarre political figures I suppose but yeah definitely a very good like it feels almost like a uh, Steve Martin and uh, Little Shop of Horrors just this like over the top sort of like mo- cool guy bully character and yeah I think he's a that's a good slime house bully which you wouldn't expect in a movie with so many uh, so few ch- child characters well with that do we want to do we want to spin into some slime scores uh let's change some scores head over to the turtle club actually we'll we'll, we'll go to the turtle club after our slime scores to celebrate <laughs> but uh what uh, Only if you're turtly enough <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm afraid we might not be turtly enough i, we'll I think we could be turtly who who out of all of us before we start our slime scores <laughs> do you think is the turtliest for the turtle club and no offense taken to anyone if mm. they are the turtliest <laughs> Hmm. Uh, honestly, what? I don't know how to define turtle. <laughs> yeah, what are they called? Tricky... <laughs> yeah, we. Um... <laughs> anyway, um, who wants to kick us off with uh, with their scores? I can go first. Um, this isn't a ten to me, but it's it's a worthy slime movie. Um, I just think a lot of the humor's sometimes the humor feels a little too broad compared to like something that's ten out of ten slime house to me. Also thematically, I don't feel like there was as much to talk about with this. So um, I landed on a nine. Yeah, I could say I'd, I'd probably second that. I think honestly, I might give it an eight. Even I mean, I know it's a very key Slimehouse movie, and like I do think it's definitely like one of the more fun, crazy movies we've talked about on the podcast. But when you really break it down, uh, yeah, I kind of agree, Jared. The humor—it's kind of like we talked about earlier. Like it feels like it's kind of trying to do an Austin Powers, kind of trying like to be like a kids' version of that sort of like high concept character based comedy. It feels a little bit um, very like, it feels very Adam Sandler, very happy Madison in a lot of ways, which I don't think, especially at this time really was very slimy. It feels, it feels less like a slime house movie and more like a toned down, like grown up comedy, but yes. it does have uh, lots of slimy humor, lots of farts. The aesthetic, I think, is very key to kind of what makes it so slimy. Um, it has this live-action cartoon aesthetic that it doesn't really have to have based on the material, which rings as slimy. So, yeah, I have to land on an 8. I think it's a, 
a very slimy movie and definitely a movie everyone should watch, a very bizarre movie. But um, as far as like a lot of the tropes and themes and stuff, I mean, this movie doesn't really have any themes. So like I would say <laughs> chief amongst that, it can't avoid having any sort of slime house theme because like, I feel like when we come to Slime House, it's rare to just wall-to-wall gags. There's always something else there, whether it's like themes about like family and acceptance or any of this. This movie is literally just gags, and for that, like it's it loses some slime points, despite the fact that the majority of those gags are slimy. That's yeah, that's actually a really good point. Even like he has parents in the movie, but there isn't really any like angst or conflict or lesson with the parents. You know, um, I I can go next. Um, it's funny, I think the comparison to the tuxedo and Who's Harry Crumb are both apt. Um, in the case of this and tuxedo, it's like basically a spy movie where it's like, let's make it a vehicle for our star. So like in tuxedo, you've got, he's got a suit that can make him do uh, stunts and tricks, you know, and all that, because that's what Jackie Chan does. And in this one, he's a spy, but he has to be a disguiser, so he has to do impressions and all that. Um, so I, I feel like it's more star vehicle for Dana Carey now but I really like Max's comparison to Harry Crumb in that I think that's a star vehicle that isn't really leading into Slime House partially because it just came out before Slime House was a major thing so but I'm not high on it I'm not like in the 10 range at all just because I think it's it's so kind of off kilter um from what we we've sort of established as sort of Slime House tenets um so but I, but I get that some of the aesthetics are really fascinating and slimy and, you know, things like the spaghetti and all that. So I'm kind of inclined to give it a seven, and I feel like that's even the highest I would go. Um, certainly, it's like, I think the trailers and, like, its footprint culturally is high, but I think when you actually just, like, distill it down to what is Slimehouse, I don't think this movie, like, compared to some of our other favorites, like, really informs you about the genre um maybe because it just doesn't have that many kids in it either i think that you know is some factor in it too but anyway i could go on but i think seven is where i'm gonna land yeah this one was a tough one for me um i it's like the highest nine i could give or the lowest 10 frankly to be honest um i i I, I really think this is kind of like maybe what I look for in a Slimehouse movie personally, just kind of this heightened sense of kind of chaos. I mean, it's, it's a chaotic movie, but it has a heart to it that, but the chaos is really chaos that only like younger audiences will enjoy like, I don't know a single adult who probably, besides from us who grew up with this movie, like, who probably thought this movie was that funny when it came out. And I think a lot of the, like, if you look at kind of like Max's research in, like, the production of this movie, like, so much of it was, like, pushing the boundaries of PG humor to as close as they can get to PG-13 without being, you know, PG-13, which to me is, like kind of an almost essence of slime house in a way. Um, I don't know, but that said, I do think, I think I'll land on a very high nine for this one because yes, I, I agree that this is almost kind of like its own animal. Um, and I, the movie I kept comparing it to in my head was son of the mask, but son of the mask does have this groundedness of like, you know, the characters are dealing with like these like household suburban things like, chalked up into this like cartoony world whereas this as we mentioned is just kind of like a kid's austin powers in a way so i'll land on a very 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 high nine about the highest nine i can give um i i genuinely think this is a slime house landmark if you will i also think it's maybe the beginning of the end for slime house in a weird way i think like after this you know we look at kind of 2003 2004 is really the 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 kind of end but i feel like this it being such a massive flop financially being such a critical failure and being just such like a weird kind of take on what slimehouse did really well in popular culture um it, it just like it didn't it didn't coalesce into something that worked at the time 
Um, and I think it probably left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths um, in the, in the development in the motion picture development. So um, yeah, I, I actually, I think this is an important movie because I do think it was maybe the beginning of the end for Slimehouse. Um, that said, I still think it's a very, very slimy movie. So very high nine for me. I, I, I'm kind of leaning towards like a little more after this discussion, I think I would change my score from a nine to an eight personally. Um, just because the more I think about it, the more the, the lack of like, like actual Slimehouse themes, um, kind of detracts from the overall like you know it's it, to not what nelson said was really spot on to me about like if you if this was like the one slime house movie you watched would you get everything you needed out of it and um yeah I, I do think in some respects like you need a movie that would be more like comprehensive in terms of like what what does slime house like want have to say about uh us as young americans coming of age you know what i mean but that said i think like and maybe this is just a difference of kind of how we all interpret it because we're all pretty much aligned for the most part but i think we all have that like 10 percent that diverts which i think is really interesting um like to me first of all i think this has the slime house attitude of just like it's not extreme but it's just kind of like lunatic lunacy I think I described it as like bratty in the turning red episode that we just did, which this isn't a bratty movie by any means, but it is just kind of like an annoying movie. And I say that (laughs) and not in a way where it's like a bad thing. Like it's just kind of like annoying in the way that kids find funny. Um, And to me, this really like embodies that tone in a large way. Um, and, And I think back to like, you know, maybe this is taking the the genre name a little too literally, but like one of my qualifications is like, could this have played, could, would this have had a really nice home on like Nickelodeon at the time? And I truly think this would feel right at home within the Nickelodeon programming at any, any point, you know? Um, and I don't know, to me, for that reason, I think this just is like, it doesn't again yeah it doesn't have some of the thematics but i don't think it drops it enough down for me because i think aesthetically and tonally it's right on the money if you were going to program like a slime house film festival which maybe one day we will do be sure to donate in our anchor bio uh just kidding but like uh you know if we were to program it i think this one would fit well as like an important movie but i'm still going to stay with my seven score um, which is not a one by any means i think there's room for the rain <laughs> yeah i would say for me like I know an eight's very high, so it's not really like a like a, like I'm gave it some low ball score. But like the main thing really holding it back from being like a ten or even like a nine for me is like kind of just the lack of like a a kid's like perspective in it. You know, like I feel like I feel like like I feel like something that's kind of like cat in the hat. If you took the kids out of that, it would still be slimy to me, but not quite as slimy. And it's like I feel like this feels almost more like still very very slimy, slimy than any of these movies. Almost like a like we said Austin Powers or. An, ace ventura or like one of these just like wacky character comedies with less dirty jokes because yeah i do think everything about it the humor the aesthetic like of it everything about it is very slimy but yeah that lack of just like a real like kids perspective because we definitely have had slimy movies without kids as the main characters but i feel like they're still typically through sort of a kid's have have a kid's perspective on the world of some kind and this just didn't really feel like it has that even if its main goal is to make kids laugh and, and like yeah that's to me really what held it back from being really strong because i do think that the humor of it, it being like pg-13 toned down to pg that's like exactly kind of how i look at a lot of slimehouse humor but without like really this sort of like whimsy or diy or like perspective the stuff that we talk about that make these movies really like kids wish fulfillment kind of things that feels very that didn't feel as slimy to me despite the fact that on the surface everything about it was but yeah still an eight a very high score and i think this is a very key slime house movie that everyone should watch just because it's really it's something to experience that's that's for sure yeah i just want to add one note um before we wrap up the I think the the note about does it need to have kids at the center as characters is really interesting because 
to me, Disguisey is almost a kid. He's just like a man child. Like he he's basically a kid played by an adult, which I think to me is can still be very very Slimehouse. Um, but I think if you you can look at that in a movie like Waterboy, for instance, it's also kind of the same kind of idea of like, oh, this is a kid played by an you know an adult. I mean, in that end, there's you know maybe kind of some un-PC making fun of, you know, the mentally handicapped. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's something that I consider, too, is like, yeah, maybe the the actor playing this role isn't a kid, but does the character have a childish um, personality to them? Yeah, and I, I see that for sure. I feel like, for me, the main thing, it is the really last thing I'll have to say, is like that... I feel like, like for a character like that, I think of like Pee Wee Herman. It's like the opening example of like a man-child character in that, like, because I feel like you have man-children like Pee Wee Herman, then you have a man-child like someone might describe like um, Ricky Bobby or like a Will Ferrell character as who it's like, and I feel like Pee Wee Herman and like other sorts of like slime house like adult protagonists have almost kind of like an innocence to them that I feel like. Pistachio Disguise doesn't have as much. He definitely is there. There's like a naivety, but like it's 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 sort of a a gag, not as much as like I feel like he doesn't have like the endearingness that sort of like a slime house man child does to me. And again, like still a very high score, that's just a little just like a very small distinction. Again, still a slimy character, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well I think guys we gotta uh get over to the Turtle Club uh before they start doing a cover charge or hit capacity so um, let's let's skedaddle so uh thanks for listening everyone we always appreciate it and um on that note we're going to be a master of disguise we're going to be a master of disguise we're going to be a master of disguise enough all right stay slimy guys slime house a podcast created by jared anderson jasper birnbaum max morris and h nelson tracy If you like this episode, you can find more fun on slimehousepod.com. Our website is created by Brian Hume of Valencia Creative Company. Our theme music composed by Greta Russell. Support this podcast at anchor.fm slash slimehousepod or by following us on social media at slimehousepod on all platforms.